0: Hello. This
1: is a prepaid call from Joe. Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker,
0: and I'm your co-host Anaïs Lucia. And this episode is, you know, has to do with uh, mental health and also Joe's experience as uh, an an inmate observer. Uh, So, you know, Joe, what exactly is an inmate observer? I'm sorry, observer. I'm sorry about that, observer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inmate, no doubt. Well, an Inmate Observer, it's a job that uh, they created in the prison that allows inmates that, you know, keep a pretty clean record and stay out of trouble to sit and watch other inmates that have attempted to commit suicide. That way it frees up the nurses to do a lot of paperwork that they have to do. And we sit in front of them and we watch them and we Mm -hmm. record everything that they do. We Mm -hmm. see them doing anything. We Mm -hmm. let the uh, nurses and the uh, the, uh, correctional officers know, and that's basically what an inmate observer observer is. You know, now it's a great job. um, And while I was sitting as an inmate observer, I got to know this guy, and we're gonna call him Ralph. He he didn't mind me telling his real name, Mm -hmm. but I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna call him Ralph so everybody will know. But he wrote me a letter. uh, I'd say about six months ago, telling me about his situation. Because, you know, I talked to him a lot up there, you know, when he's in the uh, suicide uh, prevention unit. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to share his story when he heard about the podcast. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it down for me, uh, a little bit anyway. And uh, I want to read this letter, and then uh, we'll talk about it just a little bit after uh, I get done. So let me go ahead and start reading, Okay. Okay. Okay, this is how he starts off. He says, my name is Ralph. I'm telling my story about how I became a self-mutilator because I don't want people to make the same mistake that I made. A self-mutilator is someone that harms themselves physically by cutting or scratching or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. I've been a self-mutilator for nine years now. I hurt myself the first time after I was put in solitary confinement. I was 18 years old then. An older inmate that had been there for some time talked to me every day when we went to the rec yard. After a few weeks of talking, I felt like we were cool. I was very impressionable, and I was looking for friendship, so he just happened to be in the the right place at the right time. I confided in him how depressed I was and how bad I wanted to get out of solitary confinement. He acted like he really cared about my well-being, and I fell for it hook, line, and sinker.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He told me that he knew how I could get out of solitary confinement. He told me to hurt myself by taking a paperclip, clip, straightening it out and sharpening it, and then sticking it in my stomach. Mm-hmm. I told him that I couldn't do that to myself. Every day for a couple of weeks, he kept trying to convince me that this was okay and this would help me get off of solitary confinement. He even showed me how to pinch my stomach, kind of like, a person that uh, is taking a diabetic shot, and then puncture myself. He kept telling me every day that after I do it, they'll take me to the hospital and I would get off solitary confinement. Finally, I gave in. He gave me a paper clip and I did exactly as he told me to. When I did it, I screamed from the pain so loud that the pod officer ran to my door frantically, asking what was wrong. I collapsed to the floor, clutching my stomach. The officer called for help and the medical staff came running. When they saw what I had done, they quickly got me to the hospital. The hospital staff x-rayed my stomach and they saw that I had punctured my bowels. Mm -hmm. The surgeon came in and explained to me that he had to go in and get the paperclip out. I'm thinking, yeah, this is working. They will do the surgery and I will be taken off of solitary confinement. When I wake up, My whole stomach is pulsating with horrible pain to the point that I can't move. I look down at my stomach, and I have a huge six to seven-inch incision with about 30 staples holding my stomach shut. They transferred me to the mental health unit, so I got off of solitary confinement. What I didn't realize is what I was in for next. Over the next nine years, I can't count the number of times that I have cut my stomach open. (laughs) I have no filling in my stomach once I got an infection so bad they had to take me to the they had to tie me to the bed and run a tube into my heart to feed me I was fed through a tube for three months no water no food my abdomen had got to the point point that they couldn't close it anymore so my intestines just hang out there were holes in my intestines dark green bile would pour out all over my body burning my skin. This is no joke. Today I'm doing fine, but I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I'm afraid because everybody everybody that I know that has done this has died. The person that pushed me to do this died from this. So I know how this ends. I just hope that I'm the one that beats this. If not, I hope you listen to what I'm saying and just don't do it. Now, he wrote me that letter about six months ago, and I didn't do it then because, you know, we were just getting the podcast going, mm-hmm. but I felt compelled to read that letter today. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that I could, would read that letter when we were talking about mental health, you know?
0: Wow. And so why do you think it's uh, important uh, to talk about this topic?
1: Well, I think it's super important to talk about mental health and this issue in particular, dealing with self-mutilation, because I've met guys in here that do this, and and I've always been fascinated as to, you know, what are you getting out of it? And he told me on one of the occasions that I was sitting on him that it it gave him a sense of power and control over his life. Even though he knew he was hurting himself, it made the medical staff and the, and the people at the prison do what he wanted them to do.
2: Mm-hmm. So he
1: gained some power out of that, even though he knew that he was doing damage to his body. And another reason that I really think this is important to talk about is because remember in the letter when I talked about the guy, when I mentioned the guy that talked him into it. You know, mm-hmm. prison is a miserable place, and there are a lot of people in here, no matter what programs they offer, no matter... How many laws change? They just don't seem to care about anything and anybody. Mm -hmm. And they want you to wallow in that misery with them. And I wanted to make sure to point out to people that, you know, not everybody that you meet in here has good intentions for you. Mm
2: -hmm. You know,
1: they'll befriend you as if they do. uh, But the whole time they're setting you up to tell you something that's going to hurt you in one way or another. It's no different than, you know, somebody recruiting you to join a gang. I mean, that's just a that's a slow way of, of harming a person, you know, over time. But this way, it was more immediate. And he even told me that this guy, uh, he met him a few months later. He was brought to the suicide uh, uh, floor. This guy laughed at him and told him that he was stupid for even listening to him. You know, but by now, Ralph is addicted to this, and he... He's added this, uh, I'm going to say, I don't want to call it a coping mechanism, but he's added this uh, way of getting things done for himself to his con. And it's become something that he cannot stop doing, as, as he says. The longest that he's gone without hurting himself is two years. And he had a problem at home. I'm not sure what it was cuz he got emotional when he was talking about it so he didn't really want to get into that
2: mm-hmm. and
1: he I'm going to use the term relapsed oh. and he opened his intestines again opened his stomach up again and you know and that is so sad because like I say he's a young person
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he has a chance to go home um I think in a couple of years and you know these things keep happening to him and I know that during those two years, before I even started doing inmate observing and sitting on the guys up there, I would see Ralph in the gym playing basketball, but I never really understood why his T-shirt, would it, it would always have something red on it. And now I know what that was. That's blood oh. from his intestine. Yeah, you know how his stomach would be open? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, I think they had a mesh or something over it. But it would still be spots of blood all over his T-shirt oh. while he would be playing and when guys started to figure out that's what it was, they wouldn't even guard him,
2: mm. you know. And,
1: yeah, they would stay away from it because they didn't want to get blood on them, on mm-hmm. themselves and stuff like that. But, you know, it's a real problem in here. It's a real problem, you know.
0: Wow. That's, that's something I've never heard about. So, you know, thanks for, I guess, bringing awareness to it because, you know. Some people listening might not have even heard about that either, as well. I've heard of like mutil- mutilation, self mutilation, like with wrists and stuff like that, but like the intestines and yeah. your stomach, no.
1: And he told me another thing, yeah, that, uh, on top of what you're saying, he told me that, you know, because he doesn't have any feeling in his stomach, mm. uh, he just sticks ink pens and, uh, razor blades and, uh, <gasps> toenail clippers, he can just stick those things in his stomach when he wants to uh, get attention. And I don't want to make it sound like he's just manipulating and and nothing's wrong with him because I believe that if he thinks that's an option to getting something, uh, whether it be uh, getting moved to another cell or getting them to allow him to use the phone or whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. uh, if he believes that's an option for him, I think something's wrong with him. He may not be, you know, like you got mental health that goes like on levels from one to six, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, level six is the highest, meaning the most dangerous, most unstable. And level one is the lowest, you know, somebody that they consider the functioning um, uh, mental health person. Mm -hmm. And he's at the top. He's like a six. So he's confined most of the time to his cell um, when he's acting out. So he'll do these things when he wants to get a phone call or or uh, order a Christmas package or stuff like that. And they used to give in to that, but lately I've noticed that they don't give in to that anymore. They're trying to make sure that uh, the guys don't think that you know, hurting themselves is going to continue to get them, you know, the little perks or whatever that you can get in prison. And, uh, you know, it's frustrating, a lot of them, because they... They feel like they're being punished. They will actually hurt themselves. I've seen him actually hurt himself and then blame them for not getting to him quick enough to get him to the hospital. Uh And I would say to him after he comes back, I'm like, man, how are you going to say that they're not doing their job when you are the one that opened yourself up? Mm -hmm. They got to you as quick as they could. And sometimes it is slow, you know, because stuff happens in here. You got that, the nurses will be running to two or three different cells. Sometimes it is slow, but it, it just amazes me how—and he's not the only one—how sometimes they'll say, "Well, you're not doing your job. I could have died." And I'm sitting there, you know, and and I can't say anything to them because we're not supposed to say anything to make the situation worse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, "Wait a minute, you're blaming the nurses." for not getting to you saying that if they, you know, if, if by them getting to you slower, slowly, you could have died. And I'm saying to myself, if you would not have done that, you wouldn't have to be worried about that.
2: Mm-hmm. But then
1: as quick as I think like that, I tell myself that's not right either because it's obvious that something's wrong.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I
1: don't know the answer. I don't know what can be done about it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's obvious that something's wrong with a person that believes that cutting their stomach open is an option for them. And another thing that I'll say uh, real quick is that I asked him um, when he, when I was, before he wrote me this letter, when I was sitting on him, I said, did you have mental health problems when you were on the street? And he said, not that he knows of. And I'm like, well, so when you got here, you hurt yourself because this guy talked you into it. You never had any inkling, out there on the streets to hurt yourself and he said no he said absolutely not <laughs> he never thought to hurt himself when he was out there it never even dawned on him and, and i'm saying to myself something is wrong if a person can be talked into uh, hurting themselves i mean the way he did it think about this
0: now.
1: yeah have you ever seen anybody have you ever seen a diabetic you know, take a shot
0: um I think just like on TV shows or something, not in person. Yeah,
1: well, okay, it's like, okay, like uh, take a piece to your side, right? Mm-hmm. Right there at your waist. Piece aside to your side. And you got your you got a piece of your belly in your hands, right? hmm Okay, now that part of your belly. Now, he took that, and he took, uh, that's how diabetics, they, they'll shoot the needle into that part. But he took a paper clip, straightened it out, and sharpened it, and stuck it in it. Oh, wow. He stuck that in him far enough that he punctured his bowels.
2: Wow.
1: Now, yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I'm thinking, okay, you may not have been diagnosed with a problem on the street, but something was wrong. And I asked him, I said, were you a heavy drug user or anything like that? And he was like, yeah, he like to smoke weed and use some cocaine. And, and I think he said meth. I think he said meth. Uh, but I'm not 100 sure, 100% sure about that. But I'm sitting here thinking, okay, maybe a lot of the people that are addicted to drugs are self-medicating, you know, because you see a lot of guys coming into the system now that are strung out bad, especially on this opioid. And then when they get here, they get diagnosed as uh, having mental health issues, bipolarism, uh, depression, that's real dominant in here, Mm -hmm. Uh, and all kinds of other stuff. And then those... When they get, after they get diagnosed, they get on their medication, they do fine until they start using drugs while they're on the medication. And that's a problem that he has. And he talked to me about that, how he's having a hard time uh, kicking the drug habit in here. Hmm. And and it's causing him to be worse as far as his mental issues are concerned, you know? And I, I really feel for him. I really do. I really do.
0: And do you have an update on how he's doing right now?
1: Oh, well, yes, yes. This week alone, this week, he was doing fine um, for about five months. And last week, I'll take it back, last week, he's been to the hospital three times. He's cut himself open three different times. Oh,
0: my gosh. In the
1: last month, right?
0: Oh.
1: And just last week, I heard that they put They have to put him in a straitjacket. You know what a straitjacket is? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm Yeah. He, they have to do him like that because, well, first of all, let me back up. Before that, they would have him on strap now, right? They would have him strapped to the bed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when he's strapped to the bed, that means they got a strap on his ankles and the strap, straps on his arms, keeping him flat to the bed, right? Mm-hmm. They might put a pillow under his head so he can, uh, you know, lean up a little bit, but that's how he stays. But even when he he's like that, he's been able to get loose somehow and then rip his stomach open.
2: <gasps> wow. Three times.
1: Three times. Oh, my and, gosh. Yes. And this last time they decided for his safety, and it may sound cruel. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds cruel because – even though I know it's for his benefit, I don't even like hearing about it, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, this time, they have him in a straitjacket, so he cannot get his hands loose. You know what I mean? Wow. So he cannot bite, because he bites down on the straps and gets out of them. He literally chews through the strap to get out of them so he can get his hands free and rip his stomach open. And he knows that every single person, I was at his door one day watching him, and a nurse came by, and she's real nice. She was concerned about him, and she was talking to him. She said, "She's scared for him. She said, do you understand that every single person that has done what you're doing has died here?
2: Hmm.
1: And he said he did, and I watched him, and when she walked off, I watched him tear roll down his face, and I said, man, you all right? He was like, no, not really, he said, because I cannot stop. I can't stop. Hmm. And I'm like, I don't understand. You you cannot stop. He said, it's addictive. It's, it's Now it's addictive. And this person that talked him into that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think he knew that. I think he knew what he was doing.
2: Oh.
1: And he just wanted, yeah, I think he, I do. I believe that. I think he knew what he was doing. I think he, he just wanted company. You know, like they say, misery loves company, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I just wanted to talk about that for a few minutes. Uh, this episode, I... It'll be a little shorter than the other ones, but I really wanted to make sure to get this out so that people will understand how serious uh, mental health is, especially in prison. It is rampant in here. It mm-hmm. is rampant. Uh, I, I don't know the answer. I don't know, you know what they should do. The People are way smarter than me, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, the problem in here is just almost unimaginable to uh, – Grass. it's like when you see, you you actually see a mental health patient that's like a five or six, it's almost, it's like, what can this person do? And the majority of these people that I've seen, they don't have big sentences. They do not. They're Mm -hmm. coming home, you know, like in two, five, seven years. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine what they're going to do. I just can't imagine what they're going to do out there to be productive citizens or how their families are going to deal with them, how the community is going to deal with them, you know? And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And it needs to be addressed before they get out. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I feel like that's definitely, um, like for me, that's something that, that should be, I guess, like mental health, like therapists or like some kind of mental health assistant should be, assistance should be like offered. Um, cause, yeah. um, I feel like especially yeah, like being do. in prison. Oh really? Okay.
1: Yeah, they do. They have um Well, let me correct that because you said like with officers too. Now, the officers I don't think are trained in that, which mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think they need to be trained, but I they have nurses, they have therapists, they have psychiatrists, psychologists and and and, and let, let me be clear. I want people to understand me. I am not uh um trying to make Uh, this the administration or anybody here sound look good I'm not trying to make them look bad either I'm just calling it like I see it Mm -hmm. and I've seen these people here they do in my opinion and I just got to keep it real they do an amazing job Mm -hmm. I just don't know what more they could do
2: you know I'm not
1: a doctor I don't have that type of training And and I've heard in other places, in other states, in other prisons, even in Tennessee, that the treatment is not as good as here. I've seen these people here, and I've seen them when they go into action, and they're serious about what they do. I just don't know what you could do with some of the situations. I just don't. I don't. I I really don't.
0: And how did you... um, like, how did you become an inmate observer? Do you like get picked, or do you decide to just like kind of volunteer to do that? Or
1: yeah, okay, it's a voluntary uh, position. You volunteer for it, uh, and then you know your record has to stay clean and all of that, and they pick you to do it.
2: Okay. And
1: then after you get picked, you go through a training, and uh, it's like an eight hours, eight hours of training, and it's, they teach you about what to look for, what to say, what not to say. Uh, what you have to record, write down what you have to tell them, you know. And it was uncomfortable in the beginning because I felt like I was snitching on the guys, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I saw them passing something under the door, you know, I got to thinking back when I was on Max, you know, uh, how hard it is and any little amenity that you could get, uh, it, it made the time easier. But I had to come to understand real fast that, like, if they're passing a book, or something like that, back and forth under the doors, that, that it could be a razor in that book, mm-hmm. you know, because that happened to me once. You know, I was watching a guy, and uh, and I had become cool with both of them, you know, and they were fishing. And fishing is like taking a piece of string and tying something heavy on the end of it and throwing it out the cell on the under on the, on the bottom of the cell, and then the other person does the same, and you try to get both of those strings connected and tied up and once they do, then you can put something on the other end, and the person in the other cell that wants it here just pull it out and pull it to You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> anyway, they were doing that, and they were trying to get a book to the other person. Oh, okay. And the officer walked by and stepped on the thread. And uh, I was kind of glad and relieved that the officer stepped on the thread because if the officer hadn't done that. I would have had to tell that they were passing the book. So oh. I, 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 I kind of got off the hook, you know, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> But when the officer uh, got the book, she opened it up, and it was a razor in it. And I sat there, and I felt like a fool, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm like,
1: wow, okay. And I looked at both of them. I'm like, really? Y'all going to do this to me? You know, I tried to make it personal, you know what I'm uh-huh. saying? And they were like, man, you know, don't you, 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 you're taking this the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what were you going to do with the razor, man? Mm-hmm.
2: They're
1: like, I wasn't going to do nothing with it. I'm like, really? You wasn't going to do nothing with the razor? You're in here on suicide watch. You're trying to get a razor, and you was not going to do nothing with it. So after that, I became more diligent and started watching way more than I intended to when I first mm-hmm. went up there. But that's, you know, that's how you become an inmate observer. And uh, they pay you like 85 cents an hour when you work a, a four-hour shift. And uh, they have enough inmate observers where it covers a whole 24-hour day, seven days a week, mm-hmm.
0: you know. And do you feel like, too, in order to be able to do that, you have to be kind of, like, mentally, like, strong? Like, is there certain things that maybe, like, you have to kind of be prepared for? Oh,
1: that's a good question. That's a great question, actually. Well, yeah, because sometimes after you leave your shift, you feel drained. And you feel like,
2: Mm.
1: you know, it's a lot of pressure watching somebody consistently for four hours, and you're watching for anything, especially when you go up there and there'll be those days where they're actually trying to hurt themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. I saw, you know, in my first week up there, I saw a guy uh, trying to hang himself, Mm -hmm. and it messed me up, you know, and and, uh, I started to quit, but Mm -hmm. I didn't. And because I was like, I, I thought I was prepared for it, but I, I really wasn't. You know, I'm seeing somebody, at this time, they still let them have sheets. And after this, they took the sheets. But he had a sheet hanging off of the pipe, and he put his neck in, and it just jumped. As well. quick as he got up there, he jumped and I'm freaking out, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Getting the nurse over and they got over there pretty quick. And the guy, like I said, they cut him down. You know, he was trying to hang himself. But uh, that really affected me, you know, so when I came back to the unit, I I was like torn up, you -hmm. know, but I was like, I got to get it together because this is what I want to do. So, you know, I had to get it together. And unfortunately, two weeks later, the same person was 22 years old, 22 years old. And if you caught that, I said was 22 Mm -hmm. years old. Mm -hmm. He successfully hung himself and he died. He died. Yeah, you know, oh. he died. And, and yeah. And he check this out. He had no time. He was like just here being held for court. Mm-hmm. But he was facing a lot of minor charges. He wouldn't have ended up with more than ten years and 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 at the most. And that's a lot of time, but mm-hmm. you know, compared to some that's not a lot. And I think that's what another thing that people misunderstand about mental illness. It has nothing to do with a person wanting to hurt themselves to get out of the time. It's just that I think that, you know, the, most of the people that I talk to, they talk about that confinement, being in that cell alone like that, cut off from everybody else. It makes it really hard for them to cope. Mm-hmm. And they think that uh, death to that i i i mean i can't understand it I, I can't understand it but if you listen to them talk they'll tell you that death is better than that being locked in that cell like that and i
2: well
1: you know like i said i i, I don't understand it but that's what they think you know mm-hmm.
0: well,
1: uh, yeah that's what they think and but, it, um yeah go ahead
0: oh sorry um just maybe one last question, being an inmate observer, is there something that you learned from that, like about maybe yourself or just like human nature about, like from doing that?
1: Another good question. Yeah. What I learned about myself is that I need to be more patient, you know, um, I need to be more patient, especially with guys that, uh, have mental illnesses. I mean, first of all, it's hard to, it's hard to tell Mm-hmm. You know, because the lifestyle that I used to live, I look back on it, and a lot of the guys that I used to order around and hang around with or whatever, I I know now that they had mental issues,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they would self-medicate to try to cope. I didn't see it like that back then. And it, it has taught me to be more alert and uh, more patient. And to listen better Mm -hmm. you know you you have to really listen to what people are saying to pick up on you know those cries for help you know it's not a lot you can do for a person Mm -hmm. in here you know but you can listen to them you know listen to them let them get it out and uh, even if you don't you know uh, say anything back just listen to them and that's what it's taught me about myself Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I really appreciate you asking that question. Yeah, that's a good question. That was a great question, actually. And if you mm-hmm. said that was your last question, if you don't have any more questions, I'm going to wrap this up. And as always, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time and doing this episode. Thank uh, you. It's always a pleasure.
2: Yes, want um,
1: I want to I wanna say to people out there that uh, if you like the episode, Please uh, follow us, share it, and if you really like it, hit that donate button. You know, I've been told to keep saying that, so I'm going to keep saying that. And uh, I really appreciate the support out there. uh, We're going to bring this episode to a close. And thank you again, Anais.
0: Thank you for having me on.
1: All right.
2: Thank you for using GTL.